Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, This is Kennard Brown, your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. I apologize for starting one hour later. I had some things I had to do today. And today is uh, April 24th. 2010. Well, we're headed into the um, fall festivals. Uh, We just talked about uh, these past uh, three Bible studies. Uh, We talked about uh, Pesach, the Days of Unleavened Bread, and also Shavuot, or Pentecost, which means uh, 50. And we're going to talk about the fall festivals. What I want you to notice, though, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 in your King James Version of the Bible. And it states here in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moshe, or Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord. Now notice, these are the feasts of the Lord, not the feasts of the Jews which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations or assemblies. Even these are my feasts. So he wants to make it perfectly clear that these are his feasts, not our feasts or the Jews' feasts or anyone else's. Verse 3, six days shall work be done. So that's a part of the Shabbat or Sabbath commandment is to work six days. If you're not working six days, you are violating, you are violating rather this commandment, unless, of course, there's extenuating circumstances why you can't work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy assembly. You shall do no work. It is a Shabbat of the Lord in all your dwellings. So wherever you're at, worldwide, does it make a difference where you're at? You should keep it. Verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations or assemblies, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. And, And that means basically that you have to count on the new moon observance, uh, uh, to be able to tell when the new month begins. Matter of fact, the, the month translated in Hebrew means new moon. So that's that's what it should be. And the Jews and, and um, the other tribes of Israel back in the days of Moshe, they did it properly. They observed the new moon, uh, looking at the little sliver uh, of the new moon. And once they saw the little sliver of the new moon, the next day was declared the new moon day. And this commandment is found in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1. It states, and remember, Moses, or Moshe, 
said this to all the people of the congregation of Israel. I know people they mistakenly teach that in Exodus chapter 12, he just told Moses and Aaron this, but yeah, that's true. But he also, eventually, Moses told the whole congregation to do the following. And Deuteronomy 16, verse 1, Observe the month of Aviv, or A-V-I-V. It has A-B-I-B in the uh, New King James Version, or the King James Version. So right there, there's the commandment that God gave to Moses to give to everyone else, including anyone that wants to believe God, that we should all be observing the month of Aviv. And how do you observe the month or the new moon of Aviv? You do it by new moon observation based on the good tradition that the Jews and the other tribes of Israel, and I'm talking about the Jews, I'm talking about the tribe of Judah and then there's other tribes, that they develop to be able to look at the, um, the first sliver of the moon. And then once they see the first sliver of the moon, that following day is declared the new moon day. Now, there's a small sect of Judaism today called the Karaites that are keeping the new moons properly. And I keep uh, God's holy days based on the Karaite calendar because I've done extensive research on this, and I know that it is correct. It's, in other words, it's, it's as close as you're going to get to keeping it the way Moses and, and the other prophets taught the people how to keep it. So, I just wanted to point that out. Now, back to Leviticus chapter 23. We went over to Passover, Pesach, and the 14th day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. And then on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And verse 7, And the first day you shall have a holy assembly. You shall do no servile work therein. And that word means laborer's work. In other words, work that you would normally do to feed yourself. That's not the type of work that should be done on these days. However, if someone is sick, uh, if you notice someone is on the verge of dying because they're starving, uh, etc., you are allowed to go buy some food for that individual and feed them on these holy days and on the Shabbat. And also you're allowed to visit the sick after all. Yeshua, our Messiah, did that. He visited the sick on the Shabbat, and he also fed himself um, on holy days as well. So, And then King David, uh, there's an example where he uh, went to the temple, and he was starving, and he needed food, and he ate of the, the bread of the priest, which he's not supposed to do. So in terms of survival, in terms of extreme situations, God does allow you to do certain things on his holy days because... The whole purpose of the Holy Days is to picture salvation anyway. That's one of the major reasons why he does allow, uh, if someone is sick, to to, to uh, do whatever you have to do, anoint them, give them certain herbs, and pray to God to, to heal them. There's nothing wrong with doing that on, on, the, on the Sabbath. If someone's in trouble, uh, dire trouble, uh, someone's trying to murder somebody, whatever, common sense should tell you that, yes, you can do certain things like that as long as a a life is at stake, as long as survival is at stake. Just like you can't shut down the hospitals on the Shabbat. There are sick people all over the place, around the world, and you cannot shut down uh, taking care of the sick. There, <laughs> there's never a rest day for that. Maybe an individual, maybe another person can stop and take over that individual's responsibility, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that that's always a work in progress. Every day you have to take care of the sick, and God understands that. So anyway... 
All right, for verse 7 of Leviticus chapter 23, In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile or laborious work therein. Verse 8, But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days, and the seventh day is a holy convocation or assembly. Uh, you shall do no servile work. So during the festival of Pesach or, or the Passover, or the, or the days of unleavened bread, even though those other days, the first and seventh day is, is like a, a Shabbat or a holy day, but those other days are days where you you still there's still special days and you should give offerings uh to God at this particular time uh the temple or tabernacle was built but what we do now we try to do all we can to help people that's the kind of offerings that we give today and sacrifices as explained let me explain again in Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 15, it says, But by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, and this word communicate should be translated, uh, share, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Again, as I explained many times on this program, one of the major reasons why God initiated uh, the sacrifices and offerings is to help us understand that we must learn how to share our possessions with mankind and with him. So that that's one of the major reasons why the sacrifices was created. Of course, it all points to the major sacrifice of Yeshua. We understand that, but, but many people don't understand or don't want to understand or they just overlook is the, the sacrifices and offerings are also designed to influence us to want to share our possessions with other people and with God himself. Okay, so, in verse 9 of Leviticus chapter 23, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you become into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall uh, bring a sheaf, of the, and this is a barley sheaf, of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. So this is the time when the spring harvest was harvested. Verse 11, He shall wave the sheaf, or the barley sheaf, before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Shabbat, the priest shall wave it. Now we explained last week, this is symbolic of Yeshua being resurrected and presenting himself before the throne of God. Now, also, in reference to the, the, the Passover, we talked about of course, that Yeshua is the Passover lamb, and that uh, he, uh, over here in uh, verse 11, it says, And he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, which means Sunday morning, and, and, and the priest shall wave it. And we remember that Yeshua was seen on Sunday. He was resurrected on Saturday night, Havdalah, according to, Jewish tradition, that's the time when the sun sets and when the Sabbath is over. He was resurrected around that time on Aviv 17. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, please listen to the last program, which is What is the Feast of Pentecost? I explain this in detail when Yeshua died and when he was resurrected. Okay, so um, verse 12, and you shall offer that day when you shall wave a he lamb without blemish. Now, this is symbolic of talking about Yeshua again. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as announced by um, Yochanan or John the Baptist. 
And at that particular period of time, he was identified as a lamb. And his ministry did last for a little over a year. And it says, uh, uh, he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And that's what he became, a, a, a total offering unto the Lord. Verse 13, and the meat offering there should be two tenth deals of a fine flour mingled with oil and an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor and a drink offering there shall be of wine the fourth part of a hen. And it's interesting that his last supper he had with his disciples, it did consist of meat and also a, a wine. Verse 13. So you're talking about a prophetic shadow picture. This pictures it. Verse 14. You shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the self same day that you have bought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And you shall count and to, from the tomorrow after the Sabbath, this is during the festival of uh, unleavened bread, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even to tomorrow after the seven Sabbaths shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves, and these are leavened breads, which uh, I know one teacher is saying that this perhaps may represent the two uh, tribes of uh Israel, uh, Judah, the Jews, and also Ephraim, which are primarily Christians, and, and also uh, geographically the United States, Britain, uh, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, uh, the countries in Northwestern Europe, and Canada, and of course anyone that that believes and accepts that Yeshua is a Messiah. So these two two low two two leaven lows, uh, since leaven does represent, uh, it can represent in this context uh, being sinful human beings. Just like unleavened bread represents uh, beings, human beings repenting and, and trying to become perfect. Uh, they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And we will find in the book of Revelation it talks about the first fruits. And those first fruits are definitely talking about the, the, the assembly of the church of God, the congregation of God. Verse 18, and you shall offer with the, the bread seven lambs. Now remember now, the congregation of God also includes Israel. Uh, so I just want you to understand that. That's why there's two loaves. Verse 18, and you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. And it's interesting in the book of Revelation, there's seven churches. And here you have seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two lambs, and they shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, and with meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire, sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 19, Then you shall sacrifice one kid of goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Verse 20, And the peace and the priest rather shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy unto the Lord for the priests. Verse 21, and you shall proclaim on that selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation until you shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generation. So each of the, the holy days, with the exception of uh, Yom Kippur, because it's a fast day, uh, you, you should be offering something. You should be offering uh, something, and you should be willing to help people on these holy days. On these holy days. So... That's very important that, uh, 
actuality also on Yom Kippur is an offering. Yeah, it's an, I, I was thinking in terms of uh, there, it's not a, any food offerings, of course, but there are other offerings that you should offer on uh, Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement even. So uh, the Holy Day should compel us and inspire us to want to help people. I think many teachers forget that part of the the offerings and, and the Holy Days. Anyway, So verse 22 of Leviticus chapter 22, And when you shall reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of the field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt lead them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now, this is uh, significant here because I want you to notice something. There's a significant amount of time between Shavuot, the Pentecost, and Yom Teror, or Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. The holy days of Elohim, or God, ultimately pictured the salvation work of the Messiah. The Passover, the first and seventh days of unleavened bread, and Shavuot have already been fulfilled. Now, hold your place here. I want to turn to 2 Corinthians, or Colossians, rather. Colossians. At Colossians chapter 2, one of the most misunderstood scriptures of all time, but um, in verse 16 it says, Let no man judge, therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Shabbat days, which are a shadow of things to come. In other words, uh, a representation of things to come. But the body, which is of Christ, and that word is was added, so the, but the body of Christ, it means the assembly of Christ, of or the Messiah, which are the people of God. They should have a discerning spirit in reference to how you're keeping the days. This is not telling you that these days should not be kept, but which are a shadow or shadow picture of things or model of things to come. So these holy days picture something of the future. So I just wanted to point that out in Leviticus chapter 23. Let's, let's turn there again. Leviticus chapter 23. All right. So in verse 22 is prophetic where it pictures a significant amount of time between the coming of the Messiah, his first coming, and then his second coming. And many people don't see that, particularly Jews, because they're taught from birth that uh, Yeshua is no way on earth that he can be the Messiah. So, again, the holy days of Elohim, or God, ultimately picture the salvation work of the Messiah. The Passover, the first and seven days of unleavened bread, and Shavuot have already been fulfilled. Now, there is a significant amount of time between the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah, which Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27 pictures. Yom Teror, which is the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippurim, which is the Day of uh, Atonement, Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, and Shemini, Azaret, which is the last great day, which I'm going to cover in the following weeks, will be fulfilled by Messiah in the future. Isaiah chapter 11, and the book of Revelation in particular, in detail, pictures the fulfillment of these holy days of Elohim. Now, this is the sequence. You have the Passover, 
the Messiah, which represents the Messiah's death and mankind's deliverance through him. The door of immortality is open again to all of mankind. Because remember, immortality right now currently is shut off to mankind, uh, even though technically it's open again, but it will be in reality, uh, in its totality, open to us when he comes back, when we're all resurrected. All right? Uh, Yom Habikarim. I'm pronouncing it right here, folks. I'm still learning Hebrew, so be patient with me. Yom Habikarim, okay, which means the day of the wave sheaf offering uh, or uh, first fruits, the day of first fruits, which is considered by many Christians today Easter, but really that day is the day of the wave sheaf offering or Yom Habikarim or the day of first fruits. Yeshua is the first to rise from the dead. Now, that, this is what this is all about. That's the reason why he had the wave sheaf offering. The barley offering. Barley is one of the most, uh, actually barley, the herb, has all the nutrients that, that you need out of it. So it doesn't surprise me that God would choose that herb to re represent the wave sheaf offering. So Shavuot, uh, you count 50 from the day after the Shabbat, not as the Jews do it, the uh, Nisan 16. That's not what it says. It says the, the day after the Shabbat, which is on Sunday. Sunday morning, and that's how you do it, and you count 50, and then you know that Shavuot or Pentecost would always fall on the 50th day uh, or on a Sunday. Shavuot pictures the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Messiah's followers so that the Torah can be obeyed. It also pictures uh, around the time that the law of God was given through Moses, but the real meaning of it is God's miraculous power being poured out on his believers to help them be able to keep the commandments, the fulfillment of the new covenant. That's what this is, the, new, the agreement to keep the law. So this will be fit, fulfilled in a mighty way when the Messiah comes again, as Joel 2, verses 28 to 32 reveals. Now, you have this gap of almost 2,000 years, which is pictured by verse 22, because here it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field. When you reap it, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt lead them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And remember, Christ said he preaches the gospel to the poor. So this is the time that the poor is, is having the gospel preached to them because the rich usually don't listen to the gospel. And and when people have money, they don't really care about those type of things. you know. So this is the time when he's reaching out to the few that he stated here in Matthew chapter 7 that, that would find the truth. In Matthew uh, chapter 7, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 7. He says, Enter ye into the straight gate for wide, in verse 13 of Matthew 7, Enter ye in the, at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which, which go. So there's many people that go into the way of destruction. Verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so that, that's, that's the, the current state we're in right now. Very few people on this earth right now uh, do believe in the Old and New Testament and take it totally literally and, and believe in keeping all the commandments that they can keep. And, of course, there there are commandments that uh, you can't keep. You can't keep the, 
the commandments where a woman has to bathe uh, during her period, right? You're not a woman, right, if you're a man. Uh, and then women can't circumcise themselves, right? Uh, if, if you're not a Levite, then you're not a priest. You, you don't do the offerings. You don't take offerings from the people and, and offer them on the altar. You don't do those type of things. Uh, uh, there, there's other laws that uh, you can't keep because you, you're not uh, a man or a woman or a priest. Okay, so, or you need a temple to keep certain of, the, of these other laws. You just keep the laws that you can keep. That's the whole point of it. So, and I'm trying to find Luke here, Luke chapter 4, I think, where Christ told everyone what his mission was. Right, in verse 16, he was, uh, in verse 15, rather, and he taught in their synagogues, which tells you that the synagogue was a very important part of the Jewish community back even in the first century as it is today in the United States and, and uh, worldwide. But anyway, verse 15, and that's where Christians today got the idea of a church through the Jewish synagogue. Anyway, in Luke chapter 4, verse 15, and he taught in the synagogues being glorified of all. So this is what... Yeshua did. He taught in their synagogues, or the Jewish synagogues, being glorified of all. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, this was his custom, this is what he did on, an, on, a, on a consistent basis. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So this is what Yeshua did. He went to Jewish synagogue, and he uh, fellowshiped with fellow Jews on, on the Shabbat. And stood up to read, and he and, and he was called, as the tradition is, the men are called to read from the Torah, which is the first a, a Torah scroll, which is the first five books of Moses. Verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of, of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found in the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22 focuses on the poor. And so here he is preaching the gospel to the poor, another prophetic shadow picture. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, I want you to notice something, that he stopped at one particular verse. And let me see if I can find this here. Yeah, this is turn to Isaiah chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 49. Or is it 61? Let me see. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 61, sorry. Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1. This is where he quoted from. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, or uh, the meek in this context is referring to the poor. Okay? And uh, in the original Hebrew for meek means poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, see, that's the one he didn't mention. He didn't mention 
that verse, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Because at that particular period of time, it was not time for him to do that. Okay, he just fulfilled all the verses up to uh, verse 2, the proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, But not the day of vengeance, because it wasn't his time to, to do vengeance yet. But it is almost approaching now for him to do that. The, the 2,000 years, uh, over 2,000 years, that have occurred since uh, he has sent it up to heaven has almost been completed here. Or if it is completed, then it won't be long before he comes back. Now, the first holy day of that makes up the vengeance of our God is Yom Teruah. Teruah. Yom Teruah. And it means uh, Rosh Hashanah, traditionally by the Jews, or in English, the Feast of, uh, of Trumpets. So it involves the Feast of Trumpets and this day pictures the Messiah's return with the blast of a shofar or a trumpet. So let's let's focus on this day because it's very, very important. And this day has not been fulfilled yet, but it will be in the future. And to start in the remaining 30 minutes that I have here, yeah, 30 minutes, let's go over this. Um, this is an excellent book I recommend you get. It's called The Feast of the Lord by Kevin Howard and Marvin Rosenthal. And on page uh, 103, I'm going to quote a little bit here from this book. It says, although Rosh Hashanah has its roots, page 103, has its roots firmly planted in the Bible. It is never known by that name in Scripture. Instead, it is referred to as the Goran Teruah, the, the memorial of blowing of trumpets. It's found in Leviticus 23, verse 24. And Yom Teruah, the day of blowing of trumpets. Based upon these biblical designations, the ancient observance of Rosh Hashanah is often simply referred to as the Feast of Trumpets, a day of sounding trumpets in the temple and throughout the land of Israel. Now, on page uh, 112, States, uh, like Israel's other feasts, the Feast of Trumpets carry strong prophetic overtones. However, this holy day comm commemorates no historical events but portrays future events for the nation. The Feast of Trumpets is next on Israel's prophetic calendar. Israel's four springtime holy days, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, or uh, Shavuot, or Pentecost, were fulfilled in connection with the Messiah's first coming, as I just stated. Israel's three autumn ho holidays, Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and, and Tabernacles will be fulfilled at his second coming. The ancient rabbis held a similar view. In the month of Nisan at Passover, our ancestors were redeemed, and in Tishri, which is the seventh month, according to the biblical calendar and also the Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah Day will be redeemed in the time to come. Subheading, Israel's Dark Day. The Feast of Trumpets is Israel's Dark Day. It occurs at the new moon, when the primary night light of the of the heavens is darkened. Israel's prophets repeatedly warned of the a coming dark day of judgment. They knew it as the day of the Lord, that terrible period of time at the end of this age when the Lord will pour out his fiery judgment. The day of the Lord will be a time when the Lord pours out his wrath, not only upon Israel's enemies, but upon Israel herself to bring her to repentance and into the new agreement or covenant. The prophet Amos spoke of this dark day of judgment. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. 
it will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on a wall, and the serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Amos 5, verse 18 to 20. The Hebrew prophet Zephaniah penned the ominous warning, The great day of the Lord is near. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the shofar or trumpet, which is found in Zephaniah 1, verse 14 to 16. But even as the darkening of the moon in the night heavens announced the feast of trumpets, so too the heavens will be divinely darkened in a future day as the day of the Lord commences or begins. Joel revealed, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. This is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 31, Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 to 10, Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4, and verse 8. Joel chapter 3, verse 15, and Acts chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, if you need to review this program when I'm finished, you are welcome to do so on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, you can uh, listen to the part that, you, that, that uh, you need to listen to again to jot down the scriptures. The Apostle Paul also described this cosmic disturbance and darkness which will announce the day of the Lord. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and some became black as a sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? As found in Revelation 6, verse 12 to 17. The day is coming in which the Lord will switch off the natural lights of heaven. He will then pour out his wrath with relentless flurry upon this wicked world as the Messiah returns to set up his kingdom. It will be Israel's darkest day, her days of all, as God's wrath prepares her for repentance even her National Day of Atonement. And then uh, subheading the last trump, it says, Scripture often speaks of men or angels blowing trumpets, yet only twice it is recorded that God blows a trumpet. In both instances, it is the chauffeur. And it says here, The first occasion was at Mount Sinai when the Lord revealed himself from heaven and prepared to bring the nation under the old covenant, old agreement, the agreement to keep the law. The Shekinah, glory of the Lord, descended with a fiery tempest and the sound of the shofar. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. This is in Exodus 19, verses 18 to 20. Now the last occasion on which the Lord would blow the shofar will be at the Messiah's return. The Lord will once again descend from heaven with the whirlwind, the clouds of his glory fire and the sound of the trumpet, the prophet Zechariah predicted. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. That's in Zechariah 9, verse 14. The ancient rabbis repeatedly quoted this verse in connection with the coming of the Messiah. And it is the ram's horn that the Holy One, blessed be he, is destined to blow when the Son of David, our righteous one, will reveal himself. As it is said, and the Lord will blow the horn. This is in Tana D.B. Eliyahu Zata 22. As the day of the Lord begins, God's last trumpet will be sounded. The Messiah will reveal himself in great wrath, and he will prepare the nation to be brought into the new covenant. And this is found in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Exodus 20, verse 35 to 38, and Zechariah 13, verse 9. And it says, ancient Jewish tradition held that the resurrection of the dead would recur on Rosh Hashanah. 
and the Bible backs this up. Reflecting this tradition, Jewish gravestones were often engraved with a shofar. Both of these great events, God's last trumpet and the resurrection of the righteous, are intricately connected to the rapture of the church, which I'm going to get into in a minute, in the New Testament. Paul revealed, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And there's so many different opinions about what that last trumpet means, but if you understand the book of Revelation, it means the seventh trump, which is the last trumpet of the trumpet place. Because remember, uh, this is the Feast of Trumpets, plural, not the Feast of Trumpets. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and corrupted, and we shall all be changed. Okay. So I'll get into that in a minute as far as uh, what this represents in terms of the rapture. But, uh, matter of fact, I'll get into this now. Now, I just want to state before I get into the rapture thing and everything else that um, this Feast of Trumpets represents a time of war. Uh, if you look at uh, Numbers chapter 10, Numbers chapter 10, it says in the Lord, in verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shall thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assemblies and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assemblies shall assemble themselves in thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So a blowing of the shofar, historically and traditionally, by the Jews and the other tribes of Israel, uh, it was this day is linked with a day of preparation for war. Verse 4, And if they blow not with one trumpet, but if they blow... But with one trumpet, then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves into thee. And when you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south shall side shall um, take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, the assembly, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you an ordinance or a law forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifice of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. All right, so we know that the... the uh, Shofar or the trumpet was linked with the uh, festival of tabernacles. So I just wanted to point that out to you. And then also, when, uh, when you blow a trumpet, it is linked with uh, teshuva or repentance. Uh, Isaiah 58 verse 1 states this, Cry aloud, Spirit, and I lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sin. So a trumpet can also be, be associated with uh, repenting, uh, warning people about their sins, and this is what this time pictures. Uh, uh, the days of all, uh, let me quote another scripture here in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Right here uh, in verse uh, 7 of Daniel chapter 7. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and had great iron teeth, and it devoured, and this is talking about the new world order here, it devoured and breaking the pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. 
or ten kingdoms. Verse 8, And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, which is the Antimessiah, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, of a mouth speaking great things. The Antimessiah. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days. Now this is happening at the time of during the uh, the fall festivals. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as a fiery as a burning fire. And fiery stream issued and came forth from him. Thousands upon thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Okay, and I, I, I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld till the beast was slain in his body, which tells you again, this must be a man, his body destroyed and given to the, the burning flame. So it says, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body. So the beast is connected to a body destroyed and given to the burning flame. All right. And verse 12, as concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. Beasts in this context are referred to the leader of uh, the kingdom, and, and, and also beasts can also refer to the kingdom that the beast is ruling over. <laughs> um, yet their lives are prolonged for a season and time. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So this whole part here is, is talking about the return of Jesus Christ, and which is uh, talked about also in Revelation chapter 11. So we know that the Feast of Trumpets has a lot to do with that. Now, what does rapture mean? The word rapture means to suddenly remove away. The word rapture is not found in the King James Version of the Bible, believe it or not. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, Let's turn there. First Thessalonians four verse seventeen. It states, Then we shall then which then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Caught up means harpazo in Greek, harpazo, and it means clouds. The original Greek means one cloud. Okay, well, well, what I'm trying to say is called up, rather, means harpazo. The word clouds in this context, uh, the original Greek, when you look it up, it means cloud. So, then we shall, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. Now, in the air, what does that mean? According to the complete word study dictionary in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, Christ at his coming meets the believers in the air, designated to be the area immediately above the earth. So this air in this context is the is the atmosphere or the area immediately above the earth, outer space. The air is not designated by the Jews as the dwelling place of the angels, but of Satan and his demons. It is in this context that Paul designates Satan as being the ruler of the power of the air. The Lord will penetrate this area in order to deliver his own from the earth. Now, I've done this Bible study before. I'm going to do it again. In John, chapter 7, verses 34 to uh, 36. It says, You shall seek me, and 
shall not find me and where I am, and I'm going to prove that the phrase where I am means heaven, uh, thither you cannot come. Then verse 35, then said the Jews among themselves, whether we go that we shall not find him. Well, where he would go, where will he go? Wait, wait a minute. Verse 35. Then said the Jews among themselves, whether will he go that we shall not find him? Where will, whether will he go? And this is King James Version. <laughs> whether will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go into the disperse among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Verse 36. What matter of saying is this? that he said, You shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. So they're trying to understand what he's talking about. And then he he breaks it down here in John chapter 8, verses 21 to 23. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, Whether I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, and he's trying to break it down here, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Okay, so he's trying to break it down to him here. Then in John 12 was one of the most significant scriptures ever written. Now I want you to notice something here. John chapter 12, starting in verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, which is heaven, there shall also my servant be, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, how is God going to honor you unless you're there for him to honor you? Right there where he's at. So, John 12, verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. All right. And then John 14, verse 3, to shed more light into this. Uh, starting in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, or temple are many mansions, and, you know, we were, me and my wife attended this one church, and they explained this to mean positions. No, it, it, that's not what it means. It means dwellings in the original Greek. Uh, in my father's temple are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, and it means literal place, not positions. I go to prepare a place for you, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there we go again, where I am, heaven, there you may also be. All right, and in John 17, John 17, verse 24 states, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, heaven, that they may behold my... Now, now, now listen to this. He's praying to his father before he gets uh, murdered, basically the next day, and he's, 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 he's praying to his father. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Now, he wasn't in heaven at the time, but spiritually he was, but physically, bodily, he was not. And that's what he's talking about. He wants them to be not only spiritually, but physically where he's at. And, you know, spiritually he was in heaven, but he wasn't literally in heaven. But he says, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me from the foundations of the world. All right, so the throne of God is considered heaven. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34. Now, heaven is a part of the, the uh, reward package, ladies and gentlemen, but we're not going to be just sitting up there in heaven and, 
and forget about the earth, we're going to also rule on the earth and um, and more than likely have dwelling places on the earth as well. But I'm just trying to show you that heaven is part of the picture here, part of the overall reward package. Matthew 5, verse 34. And he says, But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So when you see heaven, it's talking about God's throne, because God's throne is in heaven. Now, paradise, Eden, is the throne of God also, heaven. When you, you, know, you see the word paradise, and you look at Luke 23, verse 20, uh, 43. Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 43. States, uh, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And paradise is another word for the presence of God, or being in the presence of God. And then 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 4, you can take a look at that. And then Revelation 2, verse 7, all talks about paradise. Now, there will be people left on the earth when Christ comes back. That This is proven in Zechariah 14, verse 16, Isaiah chapter 24, verse 6, and Daniel 7, verse 11 to 12. Also, Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6, and Psalm 149, verses 5 to 9. Now, in Luke 17, verse 24 to 37, um, let me just quote this scripture here quickly because I'm running out of time. This is a text to try to prove that people will be taken away before the devastation upon the earth. And, and that's not true at all. That is really one of the most false teachings of all time in Christianity. Luke chapter 17, verse 24, For as lightning that lighteth out of one part under the heaven, shineth unto the other part, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. So in other words, everyone's going to see him. Verse 25, But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Okay, and so as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it, but the same day that Lot went out, of Sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever shall seek to save his life shall lose. In other words, if you're just concerned with saving your behind, then it's not going to happen. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two. And that word men was added. So it said, it shall be two in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other left. And people, I said, Jesus is to say, oh, that's talking about someone being taken to heaven. No, it's not if you just read the context here. Verse 35 says, two shall be grinding together and one shall be taken and the other left. Two shall be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. And then and they answered, said, where, where, Lord? And he said, wherever the body is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That's referring to Revelation 19 when uh, God is going to call all the, the the animals, the eagles in particular, to go and feast on the dead bodies that are going to be all over the place. So this, is, when it says taken away, that's not talking about someone being whisked to heaven and saying that they'll, they'll be taken. In other words, they're going to be killed. That's what that's talking about because he's relating this to the days of Lot and the days of Noah. So the context warrants that these people are not going to be whisked to heaven. They're going to be taken or destroyed. That's what this is referring to here. So that's the literal interpretation uh, if you take it based on the context. Uh, Leviticus chapter, uh, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 28. And then 
when Christ talks about um, this is another version of the of the, uh, the Mount of Olives prophecy uh, that's found in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Mark chapter uh, 15. I think it's Mark chapter 15. And then, uh, of course, Luke chapter 21 is, is really a good synopsis or summary of prophecy. And I would recommend anyone, uh, I think it's Mark chapter 13. Yeah, Mark chapter 13, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, and Matthew chapter 24. Okay, so where was I here? Right, in Luke chapter 21, if you just read this, and it says, And when these things begin to come to pass, and look up and lift your heads, for your redemption draw of nine. Now, if you study this, it's talking about, in verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations and perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. In other words, they're having heart attacks. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And so a believer is not going to be raptured into this time, ladies, and it's not going to be before all this. Verse 28, and when this verse proves that, and when these things begin to come to pass, and look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draw near. The false teaching of the rapture, the way most ministers teach it, is that, okay, it's going to happen. Uh, you're going to be whisked away before all these things happen. But this, of course, proves that that's not the case. And uh, in John chapter 17, by the way, John chapter 17, starting in verse 14, it says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, so we're not going to be taken out of the world. This is proof of it right here. Uh, while this trouble is, 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 while this trouble is occurring, we're not going to be taken out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. Of course, when he comes back... That all evil is going to be destroyed on the earth, basically, enough for you to be able to live a righteous life. And at that time, we'll be raptured and, and taken to visit God's throne uh, in heaven, which the book of Revelation reveals. Uh, when we turn to Revelation chapter 11, how much time do I have left here? Uh, five minutes. Revelation chapter 11. This is what's going to happen at the last trump. And if you look at the uh, the um, Revelation 8 and 9, it's a description of each of the, the trumpets that the Feast of Trumpets is prophetically uh, portraying. In Leviticus chapter 11, and starting in, in verse 11, actually uh, verse 15 here. And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces, and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, which was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry. So unfortunately the nations are going to be angry at this time, and he's coming back because they want to do their own thing. And thy wrath has come, and at the time of the dead, the time, what's the time of the dead? It's the resurrection. The time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name.
small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. This is the last trumpet, because there's seven trumpets. This is the seventh trumpet. This is the last trumpet that um, that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians, I think. Chapter 15. He states here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, despite what your ministers may be teaching you, um, or despite what you may have heard, that that is not uh, true uh, about the rapture, the timing of it anyway. First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit any corruption. Verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. What's the last trump? Look at the book of Revelation and find out. It's the seventh trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Even the Jews believe that the, the, that the feats of trumpet, that's when the resurrection will occur. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So then, when this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? So that's what's going to happen when Yeshua, the Messiah, comes back. He's going to initiate. He's going to initiate the resurrection, and also he's going to initiate the union of Ephraim, Christians, and Jews to all come together and worship under one God. That's going to happen as well. I'm going to cover more of that on next week, talking about the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Okay. And then in verse 19, which is interesting here, and it says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in this, in this temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and, and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. And I want to prove to you also, in the remaining two minutes here, uh, in the book of Revelation, one of the promises that Christ made in reference to the dwelling places of, of God's people, in Revelation chapter 3, Verse 12, he says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So that's where we're going to be dwelling at in God's temple. That's going to be one of our dwelling places. Uh, uh, we're going to have a place in God's temple, which is right now in Jerusalem, uh, in New Jerusalem up in heaven, but it's going to be brought down to earth. So I just wanted to point that out to you. So I hope you understand today. I, there's much more I can talk about, but I just got to give you the basics right now uh, so that you can understand the uh, the meat of it in, in a future Bible study. But the the festival of, of trumpets or Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah represents the Messiah's return with a blast of the shofar. It represents a time of war. It represents uh, all these prophecies being fulfilled as well. It also re represents a warning message. It represents um, us realizing that we all must repent and have an attitude of wanting to change and to repent, that we're all going to be judged, and we better learn how to obey God and, and love him. And, of course, it pictures the being, able, being taken up to uh, heaven, as Revelation chapter 19 reveals to visit God the Father and, and, and God the Father welcoming us and his family totally as being just like him as a spirit being. 
And then, of course, in Revelation 19 reveals we're going to go back down to earth and take rulership of the earth from mankind, as uh, Daniel chapter 7 reveals. So anyway, look forward to speaking to you next week. May God bless and keep you, and may God protect you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 